I got a testimony this last week, and I've had several that are like this, and basically it was this. Uh, a lady in the church told me that, um, uh, she says, you know, I think you've been encouraging us to do about just wherever you see, wherever you go, ascribe unsurpassable worth to the person. I've been doing that. And you know what? It works. It works. I, that, that's, that's really a cool thing. I mean, when I go grocery shopping or I, I, I go to a prayer meeting or I go to my neighbor's house or I'm just walking down the street, I just try to always remember this person has unsurpassable worth before God. That's what love is. It's about ascribing, affirming the unsurpassable worth that another person has. Why? Not because of how they look or how they smell or how they act or how they talk or whatever, but simply because that's what God thinks about them. And our job in every area of life is simply to agree with God. You know that? It's simply to have our will line up with His will, and that's how His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So we say, Lord, Your will is to describe unsurpassable worth. We agree with that person, with that person, with that person, with that person. And this lady's been doing that. And she says it's amazing because it, it, it's hard at first. I mean, you've got to remember it, and, and you've got to sometimes work past a lot of the garbage that you have in your mind to do it. Uh, and just remember, okay, my only job is to, is, is to ascribe unsurpassable worth. But once you start doing that, well, then, then you begin to see it. She goes, it's so cool. You begin to see it. They really do begin to look precious to you, even the ones that you don't like. You begin to see what God sees. And then you begin to feel what God feels. And it expands your heart. It enlarges the domain of your love. And you are becoming more of a God-like person. And she was just saying, this is, it's so cool. It's, it's joy. It's, it's such joy. You begin to love like God loves. And that, in a nutshell, folks, is, is, is the goal of this whole thing. To get us to live in that place. It's called abiding in God. It's called abiding in Christ. Living there. There is a place. You might call it the center. It is our home because we're there by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the place in Christ Jesus. But I don't live in that home all the time. I'm I'm learning how to visit there more frequently and I, I know that it is my home. But this is the place that we're supposed to be living out of. The center we're supposed to be living out of. And this center, when you're in this center, you ascribe unsurpassable worth. You begin to see what God sees and feel what God feels. And you take on His perspective and you take on His heart. And it is love itself, this place. The place where, where all the polluting self-talk in our brain, our evaluation, our, our sizing up, our opinions that we say to ourselves and sometimes say to other people, and the pollution that we hold and the pollution that we spread, in this place it all comes to an end. Because that's not your job description. In this place, the one thing that is in your mind is the worth that another person, however important or unimportant, However far along, however far back, however, uh, however much they've been established or however unestablished they are, whether you like their morality or whether you, you find their morality revolting, in this place, what you see is love, what you ascribe is love, and that's the one job God gave us to do. And it is joy itself. You, you are here participating in, in the, the triune divine nature. This is the pocket. This is the zone. This is the place. This is the center. You're abiding in God. The word abide means take residence in. You're taking residence in God. And to take residence in God is to take residence in love, it says in 1 John chapter 4. That's how you know you're abiding in God. You're abiding in love. You're living there. You're seeing with it. you got Jesus' spectacles on. And you see everybody through the eyes of Jesus. And your heart grows. 
Here's where you get free from self. And there's nothing more, more freeing than getting free from self. Amen? And you find that peace and you find that joy and you find that freedom that is God's life. And this is what we were created for. Now, you stay there for a while and before you know it, your polluting thoughts start coming back in. We'll be talking about that in, in coming weeks. It is the essence of all sin, you know. Uh, I don't think we, we uh, chew on this enough. But it, it's about our, our, our knowledge of good and evil that, we, that only God is to have, but we take it for ourselves and we apply it to everybody else. Instead of loving, we end up judging. The goal of this whole series on love that we're doing is to, is to move all of us, myself included, move us into that place where we are abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ and receiving His unsurpassable love to us, having His unsurpassable love reside within us, and then having His unsurpassable love flow out of us. And that's the place. That's the kingdom of God. That's His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job description. You do this, everything else we're supposed to do will get done. We don't do this, nothing else that we do do needs to get done. This is it. This is the center. This is everything. I feel this message uh, like, honestly, there is on me uh, a, a sense of reverent fear. It's that huge to me. It's like reverent fear. This is do or die. We have got to get this. I had planned on moving on. This week, I, I had a whole sermon prepared. I want to get into the Genesis 3 where, where the love stopped flowing. I want to start talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's just some... God's been... I told this to my wife the other day. I just feel like, like this is revelation pouring through me. I read that passage a couple times a day. And each time there's something else that jumps out at me. And I've never seen it before. And I've been studying theology for 30 years. And some of this I've never heard before. And it's right there. What is this knowledge of the tree of good and evil? And it's so huge and it's so big and I'm so excited to get into it. And I had a whole sermon prepared, all set to go. Man, just biting at the bit. And then Friday morning, and I hate when God does this, but I love when God does this. He says, let it cook a little longer. You go, go back and hit the center. And I said, well, Lord, I've spent two weeks hitting the center. He says, this isn't the kind of thing you're going to get in, in one passing. Let it seep. Take your time. Go over it again and again. And I see my nature is to hate repetition. I my nemesis in life is boredom, and repetition bores me. And, and it's like, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to be boring. I find this stuff to be exciting every time I talk about it. But it, aren't the people going to think it's boring? And, and and to go over this again and again. And and and. But what the Lord told me is, is really this: the problem you're up against. I said they already know this, and He says that's the problem. You all think you know it. It's so familiar. You, 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 you know, it's... But see, it's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to know it. And see, it's got to, it, the saturation has got to percolate from our brains down to our hearts. So we don't just intellectually know it. This is Christianity 101, and this is also Christianity PhD. You know, it is the most basic thing, and it's also the most profound thing, and I don't think any of us have really got either. We need to just let this saturate onto us. And, and grow. And the Lord said, you know, when, when, you know I, I like to come up with new things. Here's something I bet you never heard before. And like, you know, come up with new stuff, new angles, new twists. You know, show you that I studied for the sermon and whatnot. And the, the Lord really just kind of said, Greg, I, I don't recall calling you to be an entertainer or even to be interesting. I called you to speak truth. I called you to speak truth. And so, thanks for that. I need that affirmation. That's like, okay, I, I was hearing right. All right. No, we want the entertainment, man. Be funny. 
So we're going back to the same message we preached two weeks ago and we preached last week. It's the only thing that matters. This is what I'm going to preach on. It's the only thing that matters. And I'm going to take a verse that says it's the only thing that matters. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And please pretend that you don't know anything about love, alright? Just, just hear that. It's like you're hearing it for the first time. Because our main opponent is our familiarity. We think we know this and we don't. Galatians 5, verse 6 says this. This is the verse that just hit me this week on Friday and I called everything to a stop. Better come next week because it's going to get interesting. This week's just, you know, profound in terms of its content. <laughs> All right. For in Christ Jesus, listen to what Paul says here. This is just, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is skune in Greek. It means the only thing that has strength or has weight or stands out that has significance. The only thing that matters. The only thing, everybody say the only thing. Is there any other thing? What's the only thing? The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. The word through there, working through, is energeo. We get the word energy from it. Energy, that which does work. And what the Greek literally says is, the only thing that matters is faith through love energeo, or faith through love energized. This is cool stuff. So I, I want to just pick this verse about. This whole sermon is going to be on this verse. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have faith working through love? Those are the three points on your market set. Let's go. Number one, he says in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, the only thing that matters, it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, the only, the only thing that matters in Christ is faith working through love, faith energized by love. Now, once you're out of Christ, there's a lot of things that matter. Oh, when, when, you, when, when you're not abiding in Christ, there's a lot of things that are important. But if you know what it is to be in Christ, then you see. Then you see that, that the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. See, the problem of the Galatian Christians is that they believe that there's a lot of other things that mattered as well. Yeah, Jesus is very, very important. He's even the most important thing. But there's other things that are important as well. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to have the full worth that God wants to give you, well, then there's some things you've got to do on top of the grace, on top of what God has done for you. In this case, you need to be circumcised. Circumcision, for those of you who don't know, uh, is the ritual in the Old Testament that was the sign of their covenant relationship with God where you cut off the foreskin of a man's penis. And it's a bizarre sign. I have no idea why God chose that one, but He did. Maybe it's just embarrassed preachers in the 20th century who aren't used to talking about foreskins in a sermon. But it's in the Bible, so we've got to talk about it. And, I, and whenever I mention circumcision, there's usually some people here who aren't familiar with this, and they go, well, what's that circumcision thing? Okay, so it's a ritual where you cut off the foreskin of a man's penis, as, and, and that's a, a, a defining mark that shows that he belongs to God. Well, there are some people who said, you know what, you Christians, that it, that's good, believe in Jesus, hallelujah. But we need to get back to our Old Testament roots and do what they did in the Old Testament. So what can improve your standing before God in Christ as being circumcised? In fact, you're not really saved, or at least you're not saved enough. We're not quite sure how much weight they put on this. But, but you gain something by what you do. Now, most people today aren't going around preaching that you need to be circumcised, but there's a lot of added untos, isn't there? Uh, in Christ is good, but you know what? Uh, we really have, don't we now, a, a special market on, on, on the kingdom of God. And, and uh, people drink a little bit of worth out of such things as how they were baptized, what formula was used, what mode was used. 
And, and you know what? If you speak in tongues, you just, yeah, you're a little farther along. You're up there. You just, you're really, in, oh, yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, you're operating in the gifts. And, and, and see, we don't believe that you should do this. Uh, and you do. So, so you're sort of, it maybe isn't said this way, but this is the judgment in the head. Well, we don't do that. We would never think about doing that in our church. You know, I wonder if they're even genuine. What do you think about that person? Do you think that their motives are really pure? I don't, I, I really question that. You see, you, you're getting, drinking a little bit of worth about from what you do. You drink a little bit of worth from what you don't do. You drink a little bit of worth about what you believe. You know, we really got the corner on the market on, on, on the truth on God. Did you know that? Yes. <sighs> it feels so good, too. And, um, all of it is stuff that we just, it, it, it's, yes, we believe in grace, but grace plus this equals, equals really what matters, you see. What really counts is, yes, Jesus, mm-hmm, definitely. But that Jesus and our baptism, or Jesus and our do's, or Jesus and our don't do's. And from that position, we just are kind of on a nice little pedestal, and we judge other people, because they don't have the do's that we, they, they, do, the do, they, they do the don'ts, and they don't do the do's, and, and they, they get it all wrong. And so we are drinking a little bit of words. And Paul is livid about this. Because when you take grace and add anything unto it, it's no longer grace. This changes everything. It just changes everything. You say, Paul, what's the big deal? Circumcision, uncircumcision. He says, there is no big deal. You can, if you, do you like to be circumcised? Say, circumcised. Fine. But do it as a cultural thing, wonderful. You know, uh, sanitation thing, wonderful. But don't do it as a God thing. The only thing that matters as a God thing, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's faith working itself out in love. Paul is livid. The, 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 book of, the, the epistle of Galatians is the most angry book in the New Testament. Now, he's loving in it, but he's expressing his love. His love is leading him to really be confrontational. He gets so beside himself. In verse 12 of, of, of uh, chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, I won't even put this one on the board because it's too embarrassing because I wasn't even sure I was going to say it, but it's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we should be able to say it in the sermon, don't you think? Paul says, you know what? Those people that are telling you that you need to cut off your foreskins, I wish they'd just go all the way and castrate themselves. But he says, it's the Word of God. (laughs) Right there. So, don't call me, call Paul. All right, that's it. (laughs) I don't want any calls on this one yet. Well, what are you doing mentioning that? Well, but see, Paul, and I think Paul had a sense of humor. What he's getting at here is is, is this. He says, well, if you get righteous by cutting off your foreskin, why stop there? (laughs) Maybe God likes also Prano choirs. Who knows? Anyway. See, Paul is just really livid because here's the thing. When you start screwing around with what really matters, now there's a place, uh, there's, you know, it's necessary, it's good to talk about things like should you be circumcised or not, how should you be baptized, very important, you know, what's your doctrine here, what's right ethical behavior, there's a place for all of that. But you shave all that down, you get to the center of the center when it comes to, to what is life, what are, what's the main goal, the only thing that matters in Christ is faith working itself out in love. And you start modifying that and it changes everything. The minute you add, the minute you believe the lie that you gain some worth before God uh, on the basis of what you do, you no longer believe in a God who gives unsurpassable worth. Because see, if it was unsurpassable, you couldn't surpass it with your circumcision or your baptism or whatever it is. It's either unsurpassable or it's not. It's either the true God or it's not. You change your picture of God. God becomes a behavioralist. 
A God who really doesn't love uh, people unconditionally. He loves What He loves is behavior, and if the people are associated with the behavior, He loves the people, but if the behavior is not there, He doesn't love them. This is a behavioral God. This, this is, this is a, an uptight God. This isn't a God of outrageous, unsurpassable love who's shown Himself to us in a definitive way on the cross of Jesus Christ. It all gets... If you think that your prayer life, or you think your church attendance, or you think that your financial sacrifices, or you think that your ministry sacrifices, or you think that you're speaking in tongues, or you're not speaking in tongues, or whatever, if you think that that adds worth unto you before God, then you no longer are believing in the true God. All those things are wonderful, good, hallelujah, I love them, but we're to do them out of a fullness that we have for free in Jesus Christ, not out of an emptiness of what we don't have in Christ. Amen. It changes your picture of God completely. And then it changes your picture of you. We're going to see next week or whenever the Lord lets me get to it, uh, that the, 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 the root of all sin is the lie about God, which results in a lie about us, which causes us to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we start judging ourselves, judging God, and judging other people. And that's the fall right there. And in Christ, it's the opposite of all of that. When you believe a lie about God, you believe a lie about yourself. And now you're going to spend your life trying to get what God wants to give you for free. And maybe you do religious stuff, maybe you do non-religious stuff, maybe you get circumcised or don't get circumcised, or you decide that I'm special because I worship this way and not that way, or I do this or not that, or whatever can be anything, but all of it is a lie about you. So Paul confronts all of this. Here's a diagram of the whole thing. We showed a couple of weeks ago how the plan is for God's fullness, the triune God represented by that triangle. He wants to pour the fullness that He is, not just that He has, but that He is. He wants to pour that same love and that same life and that same fullness into us. And He wants it then to abide in us and flow out of us with this kind of bursting joy. When you're in the pocket, when you're in the zone that I was talking about earlier, sometimes you feel like you're going to burst. It's just like, I just feel like I just love everybody. You're so full of life. And that, that is supposed to be the normal state for the Christian because now you're where God is. He just bursts. He just overflows. He expresses Himself to us. That hits us. It transforms us. And then we express it to other people. That's the plan. But when we believe a lie, that's the deception. A lie about who God is and therefore a lie about who we are. It causes us to live not in Christ but in our knowledge of good and evil, in our judgment. We'll talk about all that later. Don't worry about it. But that blocks the flow of the love of God into us. And therefore, it prohibits any kind of flow of love out of us because you can't give for free what you didn't get for free. And so now, rather than living life out of a fullness, we live life out of an emptiness. And rather than unilaterally giving, we end up uh, desperately trying to get life. And this is the whole thing about the fall. So Paul is livid. Paul is livid. Against this, Paul says, no, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Nothing matters other than faith working itself out in love. Because in Christ we see the true God. This is the truth that breaks the lie. I'll be talking more about that next week. Christ is the truth that breaks the lie. And therefore He's the one, He's the only one, who opens up, who uncovers for us the truth of who God is, which allows us to once again be unconditionally open to Him to pour His love into us. The extent to which you have a false picture of God is the extent to which you're not going to be getting life from Him. But in Christ, we get our life uh, from God. And therefore, in Christ, we're totally redefined. We're defined not by our doing, but by our being. Everything, this is, if we're ever going to become the lovers God wants us to be, we've got to know who we are. So we're not operating out of an emptiness, but we're operating out of a fullness. And who we are in Christ is unbelievably full. Who we are, everything we're ever going to be, all the worth we're ever going to have, all the love we're ever going to get, all the righteousness we're ever going to get, is found in Christ. And only when, when you get that, only when you live in that, only when you abide in that, 
Do you really see that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision or whatever categories you want really don't matter at all? Here's who we are in Christ. Everything hangs on our believing this. So, so when, I, when I read it, I want you to say amen. I'm just going to bullet these things, all right? And by the way, you can't write these all down. I, I talk too fast. But we, on, on the Wooden Hills website, we're putting up the sermons. We're putting up an outline. We're putting up a study guide. And I really encourage you to go to this. And I'll, you'll have all the verses right there. I mean, it's good to take notes. The more, about, more of you yourself you use in listening to a message, the more you get out of it. But I encourage you to download it and, and, and go through the study guide and chew on these verses and pray over these verses and talk about it in your small group. This stuff has got to get on the inside. Don't let the familiarity in your head block the desperation of your need to get it on the inside. So, so let's go through this. Here's who we are in Christ because of, of what, who Christ is and because we live in Christ. This is our locale. Here's what's true about us. We are chosen to be holy and blameless in love. After every one of these, just say amen if you believe it. Amen. We're given a love that nothing can separate us from. Amen. We're given grace before the foundation of the world. Amen. We are brought near to God. Amen. We're seated in heavenly places. Amen. We're completely forgiven. Amen. We're completely forgiven. We're reconciled to God and had our trespasses canceled. In Christ we're set apart and made holy. In Christ we receive the righteousness of God. Now you're dying down on me here. In Christ we receive the righteousness of God. And you better believe that. In Christ you're given an, an eternal inheritance. In Christ you are justified. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're made recipients of God's immeasurable riches. You're taken care of according to God's riches and glory. God has made the sole source of your life. You're made alive in Christ Jesus. You participate in Jesus' own life to God. You're established on a firm foundation. You're established on an eternal foundation. You're established on an unmovable foundation. You're made into a new creation. You're totally free. You're a precious, dear child of God. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. That's it right there. Everything that belongs to God, everything that belongs to Jesus Christ by nature is given to you by grace. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus by nature is given to you by grace because everything that belonged to you by nature was given to Christ because of God's grace. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And that takes place when you're in Christ, you have the righteousness of God. You have the, you're holy like God. You're blameless like God. You're filled with love like God. All of that is true. Now, knowing all of this, Blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I mean, you've got the whole thing. Imagine somebody in heaven getting there and coming up and saying, Oh, that's all wonderful. That's all good. That's but you know what? I, I was circumcised. You know, that, I want to add a little bit to it, okay? I, I, I want to, you know, I really, that's all good, Jesus. I love that. But, but I really completed the whole thing. I was circumcised. Come on, God. Isn't there a little, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of special. All those ordinary Christians just have that silly stuff. But I was circumcised. I was baptized. Did you know how much I prayed during my lifetime? Oh, yes. Come on, throw a little crumbs my way. Ain't I special? There's something ludicrous about it. When you understand who you are in Christ, thinking that you can improve upon that is, you, well, you just obviously don't know who you are in Christ. You can't improve. You can't surpass unsurpassability. You can't surpass unsurpassability. And what you have in Christ is uns unsurpassable. That's why in Christ, it just doesn't matter. All the little things that we do. You know, there's a place for it. There's a place for talking about... I, I love to do this. Let, let, let's, 
Yes, talk about baptism. Talk about your doctrine. Talk about you know this issue or that issue. Talk about ethical principles. We can debate stuff like that. That's wonderful, good, and true. But we have to do it out of a fullness that we have in Jesus Christ, not as any attempt to get more than we've already got in Jesus Christ. It's when we do it as an attempt to get more that our life is on the line and we, don't, we end up not talking about this stuff in a very loving way at all. Because we're getting life from being right instead of from being in Christ Jesus. And there's a world of difference between those two things, isn't there? Amen. In Christ, number two. Oh, in Christ, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. And I hope you see why now. The only thing that matters is this. Do you have faith that what I just told you is true? That what God just told you is true? The only, you know, the only thing that matters is do you have faith? Do you believe that what God says about you is true? Do you have faith? Are you going to live in this? Do you trust? That's what the word pistis means in Greek. It's the word translated faith. It's trust. Do you trust that God is who He says He is in Jesus Christ and you are who He says you are in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you, are you transformed by the renewing of your mind over that? Do you believe that more than any other voice that's been told you, any other authority in your life? Everything hangs upon this, and next to this, there's nothing else that matters. In Christ, the only thing that matters is faith, trust, that what God says is true, because that's what breaks the curse. That's what breaks the lie of the serpent in Genesis 3. The only thing that matters is faith, and now working itself out in love, or faith energized by love. Let's turn to that. Point number three. Faith energized by love. It almost looks, doesn't it? It almost looks like Paul's talking about two things. Like Paul, you said the only thing that matters and then you gave us two things. Faith and love. Well, that's two things. So you should, think, you should say the only things that matter are faith and love. But he doesn't say that. He says the only thing that matters, one thing, is faith working itself out in love or being energized by love. And the reason is because he's not talking about two different things at all. There is only one thing. There's only one goal. There's only one thing that matters. The only thing that matters is faith that is energized by love. I want to chew on this. Faith that is energized by love. This is the most important thing. Love is simply what faith looks like when it's energized. When you have faith that's alive, it's going to look like love. Whatever It might look like other things too, but it always will look like love. It will be variations on love. That's why Paul says, and we've, we've hit these verses before, that the only thing that matters is love. Same thing as saying the only thing that matters is faith, real faith. So Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. What he's saying there is this. Let all that you do be done out of your trust that God is the true God, you are who you are in Christ, and the people that you're talking to have the worth that God ascribes to them. And let that be alive. And that will energize your faith. That gives flesh to the skeleton of your faith. With it, all that you do, all that you do, all that you do, be done in love. In the morning, let it be done in love. In the evening, let it be done in love. In the noontime, let it be done in love. You know, all throughout your life, whoever you're talking to, let it be done in love. Which is simply faith being manifested. The faith that God is the God He says He is. The faith that you are who He says you are in Christ. And the faith, the trust, the belief that the person you're talking to has the unsurpassable worth that God ascribes to them. And see, when you really believe that, when you really believe that, when it's, it's a genuine thing, you act on it. You think it. You speak it. You act it. Because you really believe it. Paul says, live in love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself forth. Live in love. What he's saying there is live in that faith that God is God and you are you and they are them. And, it, and it's all according to God's world. Live in that. And if you do that, you'll be doing that to others as God has done unto you. It's to live in love. 
above all, clothe yourself with love. Clothe yourself. Wear this. Clothe yourself with the trust that God is the unsurpassable loving God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself. Wear this. Never take this off with the awareness, the trust that, he, uh, that you are the recipient of this unsurpassable worth. And clothe yourself with the, the trust that God ascribes unsurpassable worth to every person you come in contact with. And live in that. This is all about walking in faith that is energized by love. If we do this, everything else that needs to get done will get done. The whole law, Paul says, is summed up in the single command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if we don't do this, if we don't clothe ourselves with love, above all, put love, if we don't live in love, then nothing else that we do matters at all. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels and of prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and give away all my possessions, wonderful hallelujah, but if you don't have love, it counts for nothing. So what Paul is saying to the Galatians is this. Galatians, you're so knotted up. You're so upset about these things. You've got your, your undies in a bundle or your bundies in an undle. Or how does that expression go? You know, a wedgie. You've got a wedgie over this thing. It's my paraphrase, right? My son and I were wrestling one time and we were having a wedgie fight. Any other fathers do that with their sons? And I won. And my poor son was walking around like this for, you know, the longest time. Well, you know, this is, this is how the Galatians were. They're just walking around. Well, we've got to make sure that we're circumcised. We've got to get this all done. And we've got to make sure that, you know, we just, you know what? Are you doing the right Sabbath day here? Do you got just the right doctrine? Are you crossing your T's? Are you dotting your I's? Is everything just all right? Because the more you do it, the more words you get before God. And see, the picture of God, they're doing that because the picture of God is like this. Well, are you getting it just right? You know, and, and I, I, I love behavior, not people. And Paul is saying, knock it off. Slapping him on the side of the head. Using some, you know, sarcastic humor to do it. Saying, wake up. The, you know, those issues are all well and good, but if you get to this core, the core, the core, the thing you're supposed to wear, the thing you're supposed to live in, the thing that's supposed to be above all is this. Faith working itself out with love, energized in love. Shave it all down and that's the center of the center of the center. And you, if you don't have that, then all of your nice little theological, ethical issues and moralizations count for zippo, 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 less than zippo if that was possible. Love energizes faith. Let's chew on this one for a little bit. Love energizes faith. Faith through love energized. Now, here's, here's the concept. The energy of faith is love. The life of faith is love. The fuel of faith is love. The thing that makes faith work is love. The, the uh, ever-ready battery that runs the bunny of faith is love. <laughs> You get the point. This is the fuel. This is the gas that, that, that it runs on. It's all about love. James says this in James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. But I love you in the love of the Lord. We've got to work on that expression, man. That becomes a... Cl- what does it mean? Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. And yet you don't supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith, by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now, he's not saying that, oh, we've got to add works to our faith. Uh, what he's saying there is, is faith that isn't dead works. It's got energy to it. And what is the energy to it? It's love. So you don't just say, as a way of getting out of an awkward situation, be warm and well-fed, blessings. 
Rather, the love moves you to ascribe to the person unsurpassable worth by doing something about it. See, faith, if you subtract love from faith, you get what you get when you take gasoline out of an engine. Okay? It just doesn't run. It's a dead thing. It's a lifeless thing. In fact, it is an ugly thing. In fact, it is a damaging thing. In fact, it is a pharisaical thing. You subtract love out of faith in which you get is dead doctrine and dead moralizing. With a lot of people just getting a lot of life by looking down at everybody who disagrees with them, what you'll get is a lot of people who are drinking from the well of their theological rightness or their moral superiority instead of drinking from the well of God. And they'll go around beating people in a very loveless way over the head, getting mad at people who disagree with them, judging the people that don't meet up to their standards. And the worst thing about the whole thing is that God then gets a reputation for being like that. And you wonder why so many people have this view of God that up there like, like this, who they really can't love. Well, this is God's PR problem. The, pre, the PR that we're supposed to be giving God is simply to love, it's to love, it's to love, it's to love. By this they shall know that you are my disciples, that you love one another as you're one, even as the Father is one. See, but that means you've got to be drinking from the well of God's love for you, getting life from that and not from your rightness. And when you do that, it energizes faith. The power of faith is love. You know, you get a lot of people, and, and this isn't a bad thing, but a lot of people are always wanting more power, you know, I, more from God. Oh, God, I want, to, I want to press in and tap into that anointing power. When I tap in and tap to that more than conquering power, that victory power, that prayer power, that anointing power, that healing power, or whatever. And those aren't bad things. Those, those, are, those, those are good things. But here's the thing. So often people think you've got to go to these various seminars and, 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 and read these various books and do these different tricks and, and go through these different formulas and whatever to get the power. What's the secret? Well, the Bible's giving you the secret right here, and it ain't no secret. It's love. It's love. You want more energy? Love. You want more power? Love. You want more anointing? Love. Love. And the more you love, the more you release it. You're in it already. But the way you, you release it, the way you experience it, the way you're transformed by it is by committing yourself to it. And that, uh, like, a, like a, uh, unlocking a door just opens the floodgates for, for the love to begin to flow. That's the life. That's the energy. That's the dynamism of faith. And I've always asked God, Lord, give my, my messages more anointing because I don't want to be hitting people's heads. I want to be transforming hearts. And the easiest thing to do is to impart inf interesting information and it's worthless. If it doesn't lead to transformation, it's worthless. But I can't do that. I can't talk. I can't. My words can go in the ears, but that, that, they, they stop there. God's got to do the rest of it. So I'm saying, God, give, give the message more anointing. And what the Lord really was saying to me this, this week is this. Praying for that is good. Fasting for that is good. That's wonderful. But the energy it runs on, the energy that releases it, is love. And so, Greg, the, the, the degree to which your message is anointed, and this is true of, of your life, whatever it is that, that, that you want more power in, making more money, being a better husband, overcoming a sin in your life. The key to it, the Lord's saying to me, you want more anointing? Well, it, everything depends on how you treat the grocery church, uh, clerk and the bag boy when you go to the supermarket, and the person that you see on the street that's standing by themselves, and the person out in the gathering area that's by themselves, and the person that you don't think is very important, uh, and, and the person that maybe you think is ethically disgusting. Uh, you know, how, the people that are trying to persecute you or ruin your reputation, everything hangs upon this. Do you ascribe unsurpassable worth to them in your words, in your deeds, and most importantly, in your thoughts? There's a direct correlation between how you treat the most insignificant in the world's eyes, because there's no insignificant person in God's eyes, 
But there's a, there's a direct connection, though we'd never in the natural mind make it, between how you treat the most casual and significant person on the street and the kind of anointing you have in a sermon. There's a connection there. Why? Because the power's in the love. The authority is in the love. People go to seminars to find out how to live victorious living. Fine, wonderful, and good. But you know what? If you're judging other people in your thoughts and in your words and gossiping, you're sucking the life. Whatever life you get from that seminar, you're sucking it out by not loving people. Love is, is the energy that it runs on. You get people who are you know, praying a lot for more anointing. You can pray to your blue in your face, but if you're loving people on the basis of their skin color or on the basis of what you think they can do for you or on the basis of how important they are for you and what you can get out of them, it's sucking the life right out of your faith. You can pray all you want. You can go to all the seminars that you can want to do. You can stand on your head. I don't care what you do. But if you don't have love, well, you're just not going to be finding the life. The life is in the love. People sometimes worry, it's just odd. Well, you know, if you preach too much love, you know, people aren't going to be overcoming sin. What you need is balance love with judgment. You know what? There's, no, there's, there's a place to confront sin uh, uh, where you do a stop action. We'll be talking about this kind of stuff later on. But you know what? Judgment does not empower you to overcome sin. It just condemns you for it. I, I, there was times in my life where I said, I'm going to hell for doing this, and I did it anyways. But when I found the love of God... Paul says it's the love of God that constrains us. It's, it's what moves us. It's what transforms us. It's what sets us on fire. It's the one thing that gives you a motivation for getting out of the sin in your life, you know? It's the one thing that gives you a motivation for being a different kind of a person, to break the matrix and programming that you have in your mind from your upbringing. Love is the one thing that can do that. Praise God. It's the fuel that everything runs on. You know, the, the, the problem here is, is, is this, and I, I'm closing here. Um, we so often, you see, the fall, the fall, being in the fall, you, you, you are the center. And everything's about coming to you. I want, I want, I want, I want. Because you're, you're feeling empty. That's in, in the fall, you can't do otherwise because you're a vacuum. So you're going to be sucking life out of everything around you. And so often, we continue to live in the fall even though we're in the kingdom. And so we pray, Lord, bless me. Lord, bless me. Give me more power. Give me more victory. You know, make me this and, and whatever. And the heart, the intention is good. And there's a place for that. But here's, here's the key. You want the key? You want the secret formula? But it's not a secret. The best way you can ever get blessed is to start praying blessing on others. Because that's love. Everything in the kingdom operates this way. The way for you to be blessed yourself is to stop focusing on yourself. And start living with an eye towards others. You bless others, you're going to get blessed. You give to others, you're going to be given too. It's the law of uh, you sow what you reap. You lose your life, you find it. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. For those who lose their life will find it. Those who seek to find their life will lose it. This is the kingdom. It's the upside, upside down kingdom. Everything is reversed in the kingdom. The way you get it is by not trying to get it, but by trying to give it. You start living in love, and you're going to find yourself being empowered to do all the things you ever wanted to be empowered in. When you stop looking at what is an advantage to me and start living in the mode, abiding in the mode, what's an advantage to others? You want power? Empower others. You want worth? Give worth to others. You want blessing? Bless others. And do it in everything that you think and everything you say and everything you do. And you know what? It all comes back on you. It, it's, it's God's economy, and it applies to finances. It applies to physical things. It applies to spiritual things. It applies to emotional things. It applies to love. It is love. It is love. Ascribe unsurpassable worth, and you, you, you can't give it away fast enough because it keeps on looping back into you, and that's how the whole universe was supposed to run. And that's how it does run when you're, when you're living in the center. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. 
Uh, close your eyes. I want to ask this question. I love to ask this question uh, because this is how we all come to the Lord for the first time. If you're here this morning and you never have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never confessed that you need Him, uh, the Bible says if you believe in your, in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And this is how we all came to the Lord. And if you have never done that, I want to give you the chance to do it right now. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to call you forward, but I'm going to pray for you from up here. You want to receive Christ into your life. Anybody here has never done that? I'm looking around the auditorium. Raise it real high so I can see your hand. Back there are several people. Praise God. Angels are doing the jig. Uh, God is doing the jig. He's so happy when people, when people do that. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Very high. You say, I need the Lord Jesus in my life. I need that love that you're talking about. I want to be living in that. Over here, brother. Amen. Wonderful. Several others around the auditorium. Praise God. Anybody else? Real quickly here. Anybody? Amen. Wonderful brother. Just surrender. Why hold back? This, this is how you get in on this life we're talking about. The love that we're talking about. The purpose of creation. Anybody else? Another person back there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Praise God. Receive God's love for you. Those of you who are raising your hand or have raised your hand or maybe you didn't get a chance to or maybe you didn't, I didn't see you, it doesn't matter, God sees. Would you pray this prayer after me? Well, I'll just pray along with you as a source of support, but pray it from the depths of your heart. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that you are God. You are Lord. You are Creator. You are King. And I confess that I am a sinner and I have not lived for you. But I believe that you love me anyways. Not because I deserve it, but just because you're love. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Change me. And help me live for you the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Those of you who raised your hands and prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God. I want to welcome you to the bride of Christ. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Amen. Now, I don't know what your background is, but I know this. Uh, in the back of this auditorium, we have got a table with some information on it. And those of you who raised your hand, would you just stop by there? There will be some people who will just give you this free information. And it will really help you get started on the Christian walk. Uh, the devil hates what you just did and you need protection. This will tell you how to get it. Uh, would the prayer team come forward? And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward. Otherwise, as you go out into the auditorium, as you go out into the uh, parking lot, love one another. Let God lead you in how to love one another. Greet one another. Do unto others that you'd want them to do unto you. Be a blessing here and everywhere you go. In Jesus' name, amen.